welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thanks, Wendy. Can everybody hear me? I just want to make sure that I'm being heard. Yep. Okay, good. As long as I got one yes, that's all I needed. Um, so I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm living in India. I, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm an American, like probably most of the rest of you guys are. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful to the uh, the organizers of this call for uh, putting this together. Uh, it's been really important for me since I've been here for the last three months. Um, I'm, I'm fairly isolated here, um, and it's nice to have this phone meeting that I can uh, that I can go to at least once or twice a week. Uh, and I also have a, a couple of friends of mine who uh, I'm still connected with in my home groups in Atlanta where I got into the fellowship about a year ago that have uh, called in to support me, and I appreciate them being on this call. Um, this will be the first time I'm actually telling my story in, in a big group setting like this, and um, I'm, it, it feels really good to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's such a unique thing to be a part of a group of people where um, it feels so comfortable to talk about my deepest and darkest secrets, which I thought I would go to the grave not discussing with anyone. Um, I don't feel like any of you guys are strangers, uh, even though I don't know most of you. Um, and so I'm really grateful to be in this position to be able to do this. Um, now, I've got to tell you right up front, and I want to leave with my weaknesses, um, I've only got seven months of sobriety, so I've got enough sobriety that I've had some, some inklings of, of what it can be like on the other side and, and what, what some freedom from lust feels like, but not enough sobriety that I still don't have some struggles. And, and the last couple of weeks have been, have been a struggle for me, uh, and um, it even made me wonder whether I should be, even be speaking, but I'm still sober. And uh, I know whenever I hear people speak, it, it, it does so much for me, and so I'm hoping that my story will, will help you guys out and it always helps me and it helps my sobriety to, to tell my story and uh, so I appreciate you guys being here and, and, and listening so listen um, I've really got to start my story from when I was 25 years old and uh, when I was 25 I, I found out some information which really now looking back and I'm 48 now now looking back answers so many questions and how I ended up becoming a sexaholic but when I was 25, I learned for the first time from the person who I thought was my biological father that he actually was not my biological father, that I was actually the, re- the result of an affair that my mother was having with uh, a gentleman that lived on the block where, where they lived in Chicago where I was born. And um, obviously that was shocking information, but it, 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 looking back now, it seems pretty clear to me that the first few years of my life, there was a lot of turmoil going on around me, which, of course, I had no control over, um, you know, with a mother who was obviously a little bit out to lunch with issues that she had, and then a father who was determined to pay her back and went out and cheated on her as many times as he could. And that marriage ended up in divorce about the time I was five years old. And my mother remarried. I grew up in a, you know, normal middle-class family, primarily in, in Atlanta, um, and, you know, no, no significant issues that I can point to where I was abused or this or that or anything of that sort. I mean, it was, it was a normal family. I, I can't say that we had intimate 
emotional intimacy in our family. I can't say that I was able to have discussions with people, and uh, another reason why I'm where I'm at today. But you know, nothing, nothing odd. But in terms of you know the, the first evidences that I have looking back um, of of issues with my sexuality, it's pretty clear. I would spend my summers in Chicago with grandparents and cousins, and. Um, and I had a lot more freedom when I was in Chicago, and, and I would stay with my grandparents most of the time. And my, my grandfather was worked for a printing company for 46 years that printed Playboy and Penthouse and Hustler. And so he had a stash in his closet. So, of course, whenever me and my cousins uh, were, were, were in their house and no one was around, we knew where the stash was. Um, but, you know, but, excuse me? You're fine. Go Everybody? ahead. Oh, oh, okay, okay. But anyway, um, so that was something that, you know, I mean, boys did, but, you know, I think I, it was a little different for me. But the thing that was most shocking for me, and this is my first memory of, of something being out of whack, was was I was probably between 10 and 12 years old and staying at my grandparents' house in, in Chicago, and suburban Chicago. And, in, you know, late at night after they had gone to sleep, I just decided that I was going to take all my clothes off and walk down the street. And when I say walk down the street, walk down the sidewalk. And I went down, it was a dark street, walked down like five houses and then came back. And actually did that a couple of times, you know. And that was actually something that until this day is something I've always had an issue with, like this intense desire to, you know, exhibit myself to, you know, want to be seen but not want to be seen. You know, I don't want to get in trouble, but yet I want to be out there like you know if, if I didn't get in trouble for it I would probably just walk down the street and, you know and just let everybody see me for whatever reason that's that's a big part of my of uh of my acting out is uh is that whole desire to do that so that started at a very young age I also I grew up in a very I grew up with a, with a strong religious and faith uh tradition um and and believed very strongly and grew up around a, a bunch of young folks who believed very strongly in not having premarital sex and chastity and all of these things. But yet I always had this intense desire to have sexual experiences. I mean, there was like this real conflict within me. So, you know, so when I, when I finally, you know, did lose my virginity when I think I was 18 years old, it was intensely painful for me because it happened and I had wanted it to happen, but yet I didn't want it to happen. And it was just, you know, I, the next day I thought I was dead. I was like, I can't believe I did this. This is the most horrible thing. But of course, I ended up doing it again and again, and just you know. And then at the, around that same time is when I sort of uh, you know, I discovered what masturbation was. I mean, believe it or not, I didn't even know what that was until I was like 18 years old. Uh, I'm not sure how, looking back now. But uh, at any rate, you know, that's once I started doing that. I mean, literally, you know, at least at least once every week at the at the longest up until you know you know i got into the program a year ago so that was always something and that became more as time went on especially with the advent of the internet and i was too cheap to pay for movies and all that kind of stuff but once it became free it was pretty easy to access but anyway getting back to uh sort of you know my sexual impulses um i met my wife uh or the woman who's my wife now i met her 27 years ago when we were in college and we had a long courtship for cultural reasons. She's Indian. That's why I'm in India right now. But um, it took us a long time to get married because of some family issues. But, you know, during that courtship, 
there were many times, I mean, I was always looking for a better relationship and, you know, we would break up and I would go off and chase somebody and only one of them had any sexual component to it. But there was always this like sort of cheating part of me, you know, and I thought it was innocuous at the time because we weren't committed, you know, but, um, but yet I was always looking for something else, you know, always just women being interested in me is just Oh my God, do I desire to be lusted after? That's unbelievable. Um, so there, there was that. And of course I thought that once I got married that that would go away. Uh, oh, and I do have to share that actually going back to the exhibitionism part. I mean, I, I did have a run in with the law at some point because of that. I mean, it got to the point where I became bold. And when I was in grad school in Cleveland, Ohio, <clears throat> there was actually an occasion where I went over to the local track and, um, I actually, you know, was, was, was clothed. But I allowed my private parts to be hanging out and specifically and walked past a group of women and then kept walking past them. Um, And I got reported and then the campus police found me and I was still wearing the same clothes. And were it not for the fact that my wife was with me and she basically lied to get me out of it, I would have been arrested. And my wife is, you know, a very convincing person. And, you know... Of course, it woke her up and scared the hell out of her, and it wasn't for years until I told her the truth. I denied it at the time, but she knew it did not add up. So that was kind of a wake-up call that, okay, you know what, you can get in really, you can get in trouble for doing this stuff. But it didn't make, it didn't make the impulse go away. But at any rate, moving on to uh, marriage. I got married. Of course, I thought that all of these things would go away. You know, once I got married, I wouldn't need to watch porn because I always felt guilty about that as well because of the religious background. And, you know, I'd have, I'd have a wife I could have sex with whenever I wanted because, you know, even though we had relations before we were married, we didn't feel good about it because she also grew up in a traditional family and, you know, we'd feel guilty. And so it didn't happen a lot. So you thought, okay, now we're married. It's going to be great. And it just, it never was. I mean, this there was never this like good sex life, you know, whatever that means. Um, and I continued to watch porn and I continued to masturbate to porn. And then I continued, we, we moved to Manhattan, lived in New York city, uh, for 13 years up until we moved, moved here to India three years ago. Um, and you know, those, those exhibitionist tendencies were still there. And so we lived in a high rise building and there was a high rise building right across the way. And when my wife wasn't around, I would like, you know, I would be naked in front of the women, in front of the women, in front of the window. And there were women that I knew lived in apartments across the way. And, um, you know, that was, that was there. That was something that I did. And I know I was seen on a few occasions and it was one of those, okay, I'm in a private space, so it's okay. I'm not on public. I'm not going to get in trouble, but it was very intentional and it was a very strong desire that I had. At any rate, uh, during the course of our marriage, I'll try to jump forward here. I continued to flirt incessantly with women. Um, and, you know, but I, I always knew I was never someone that would ever cheat. I would never do that again because of the religious thing. There's no way I would do that. Okay. So yeah, I flirted too much. I said inappropriate things. I lusted after women constantly and living in New York city is not the place to live if you don't want to lust after women. Cause there's just too many, too many damn people. And if there's a lot of people, there's going to be people that you're going to lust after. And it just got progress over the 13 years. It got progressively worse and worse. And ultimately, you know, surprise, surprise, in 2012, um, I, I ended up having an affair with a woman who, you know, was very bold. I was not bold. I uh, became bold after this first experience, but she pretty much pursued me. And she's someone who has the same disease that I have. And, you know, sitting here today, I, I, I no longer speak with her because it's not good for me, but I, I hope and pray she gets the help that she needs. And when I first got into the program, I, I told her all about it. But um, but 
it's, you know, she was a big time sex addict like me. And it just, it, you know, it started out as this, okay, I'm just going to do these few things that I've been seeing on, you know, on these images that I see that are not real and that'll make me happy and that's it. But of course, that's not what I was really looking for. And of course, I quote unquote fell in love and we ended up having this, you know, nine month affair, which was pure hell because it was a double life. I was at home. I was going to the bathroom like 20 times a day, which meant I was going in the bathroom and texting her. And it was just pure hell. And I had, you know, two, three, I have three girls and my youngest was a year old. And I remember I would lie in bed at night and look at her and think, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, I have this little kid here, you know, but I couldn't stop it. And it was just awful. And I was convinced I was going to marry her. And just this big lie, this big secret. Somehow my wife never found out. I mean, she's internally a trusting person and doesn't have time to be running around chasing me around. So she never found out about it. Um, and it just sort of ended up coming to an end. It was too hard. It was too painful. It just, it just ended. And, uh, but it made me more bold after that. If I had an opportunity, I would, I would go after it. And none of those other opportunities ever ended up, uh, with, with sex, but it did end up with a lot of, you know, build up to it and a lot of inappropriate conversations and this intense desire to like, do it again, do it again, do it again. Uh, even as painful as that was, I was just convinced, okay, next time it'll just be sex. I'm not going to like fall in love with anyone. This is not going to happen, you know? So then you know, my wife had had a desire to move back to India at some point temporarily her whole life, ever since she moved to the U S when she was nine years old. Um, and so it's something we had talked about for a long time. So we finally pulled the trigger in 2014 and came here. Um, and of course I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be in India. You know, it's different culturally. I'm sure nothing will happen in India. Um, but the couple of main things that happened here, I mean, my disease continued. I still watched porn and masturbated. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I was compulsive, but it was at least a couple of times a week and it was something I didn't feel good about. So obviously it was a problem. Um, but the bigger problem that came up was I started, you know, we have a housekeeper that works for us and I started, you know, unintentionally, intentionally, you know, walking in our bedroom with the door open so that she could see me towards the bathroom, you know, fully naked. And I did that several times and it was an intense desire. Like when she would, I would like think about it days ahead. Okay. She's going to be there at this time. And my wife was oblivious. She'd be downstairs. Oh, I'm going up to take a shower. Like right when that woman was up there and it was pretty intense. And then, and then I, and then I ended up like doing some inappropriate things with this other lady that was a cook for us, you know, like rubbing up against her and flirting with her and doing things that are just incredibly socially unacceptable here. And which, you know, when my wife found out about it later, she said, I, I just, I don't think you understand what, how crazy that is that you did that. Um, so clearly I still had a problem and I, I started recognizing that maybe I need some help, but of course, you know, I was here and people I know that might be able to give me help were in the U S. So of course I ignored it. Uh, and then the big thing that finally the, the straw that broke the camel's back happened in uh, March of 2016 last year. Uh, there was a, a woman who, <clears throat> who, who her kids played tennis at the same place that my kids do. And she, um, you know, she seemed like a target. She had just gotten divorced and she was nice to me. And we talked every day at the tennis courts. And I decided that, um, you know, the next time my wife went out of town, she has to go to the U.S. four times a year for some board meetings, that I was going to approach this woman and basically ask her for a relationship. And um, I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't do it. I actually did it during a, a very spiritual time of the year for my faith. It's the time of the year that, you know, we, we fast for 19 days. And I, I did it like, I mean, if, who could be sicker than to start something like that during the fast? It's supposed to be this time of spiritual renewal. And I go and approach this woman while I'm fasting and basically uh, spin this story and ask her for a relationship. And unfortunately, 
you know, her being sick as well, she accepted, and, and we ended up getting involved in an affair. And, and thank God, by the grace of God, 12 days into it, after my wife came back, um, a text came through at the wrong time when my wife was holding my phone, and she found out about it. And um, I got to tell you, it was the weirdest feeling. Uh, it actually was relief. You know, it was it was the most relieving feeling ever. I mean, finally the cat was out of the hat. I had no secrets anymore. But unfortunately, that wasn't the end. Um, this wasn't one of those happy endings where, well, not that it's a happy ending, but it wasn't one of those, oh, my God, I'm so contrite. I can't believe I did this. How could I do this to you? Instead, it was like, yeah, I'm in love with this woman, and you and I are no good for each other, and this is the love of my life. And I mean, just crazy. And now when I think back, I'm just horrified the things that I said, the things that I did. And it became this very public spectacle here in this area that we live in. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was involved. I continued to see her even though I was living at home. It was completely, completely, completely nuts. Um, Six weeks into it, uh, we were coming back to the U.S. for the kids' school break. Um, I almost... I was I almost couldn't leave here because I didn't want to leave this woman. I was going to die if I had to leave this woman. But I knew I had to leave. There's no way I could do that to my kids. It would have just destroyed them. So somehow I actually had the strength to get on the plane and come back. And, of course, I thought, okay, once I get to the U.S., it'll go away. I won't have this obsession with this woman anymore. It'll go away. Uh, and quite the opposite happened. I got back to the U.S. We went to New York. And within two days, I just told my wife, I said, we got to, like, get apart. And really the reason I wanted to get apart is because I wanted to have free reign to talk to this woman. So I ended up going back to my hometown of Atlanta, ended up living with my sister for four months, which was a horribly bad idea, but that's another story. And, um, and, and I continued having this relationship with this woman. It was tearing my family apart. My kids were just distraught. These three beautiful girls just didn't know what was happening. It was just turning the world upside down. My wife kept trying to talk sense into me. She started tossing the idea. She just, my, my wife, whenever something is out there that she doesn't understand, she does research up the wazoo and ends up becoming an expert in literally everything. And she started telling me I'm a sex addict. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And secretly, I would go and look at things. And it sort of did sound like it described to me. But what really got me some help, I mean, I was in a horrible place when I was back in Atlanta, but what really got me, to, to, funny enough, to get motivated to get help was a couple of things. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think deep down I knew I had a problem and I wanted to fix it, but really I had promised this woman that I was going to run off and marry, that I was going to fix myself to make sure I wouldn't cheat on her, you know, as, as ridiculous as that sounds. But it almost doesn't matter. It's almost like God placed her in my life to get to the right place, because I did. And, uh, again, God's hand at work, I ended up with a therapist who is a gift from God, most amazing person I've ever met, who um, the CSAT, obviously, and she uh, she uh, listened to my story, shared, you know, we don't have the same exact faith, but we have the same exact values. She's also a person of faith, and she totally spoke my language and held me accountable to the standards of my faith and learned about my faith, even though she knew nothing about it before then. And uh, and she got me into, into SA. And... Um, I got to tell you, when I first got into SA, uh, and this is probably no surprise to most of you, I hated being in those rooms. It was the most painful thing in the in the world. Uh, I got a sponsor, and the first thing I told him was, "Hey, I got to get through these steps as quick as I can because I have this woman waiting for me." And the first thing he told me was, "Well, you know, you got to do it at the right speed. And if you're going to do this, you're going to have to stop talking to her. You know that?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'll stop talking to her." But every intention was that I was going to get back together with her at the end of this. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, I got to tell you, it, uh, it was such a step-by-step. It was so slow at the beginning. But little by little, I really did sort of get it. 
you know, I mean, I would, at the beginning, I wasn't honest with my sponsor. I would keep having contact with this woman. I wouldn't tell him. And it was only when I started telling him and being honest with him that differences started happening. The other thing that happened was, even though at the beginning I hated this whole idea of having to contact guys, because I had all these great friends in Atlanta. I reconnected with all these people from my past. I have a lot of really good quality friends. So, you know, I'm thinking, why do I need a bunch of guys and women, but mostly guys that I've never even met before? I don't need to talk to these guys. And I was just so wrong. I mean, to be around a group of people that are the only people on this planet that actually understand me, don't judge me, don't make me feel shameful about the things that I did, allow me to share these kind of things on a, on a phone call, uh, was such a magical thing. And I wish it hadn't taken me as long as it did. I guess it didn't, I mean, it took a few months. I guess that's not real long in the scheme of things, but it was too long for <laughs> put my kids through extra pain. But at any rate, um, once I started really connecting with the fellowship, and I would I would be, I, I tell people I was doing a recovery on steroids. I was living in Atlanta. Um, I didn't have to work, which was fortunate for me. And we have great insurance, which paid for a lot, most of my therapy. And I, I was going three times a week. I mean, I was really fortunate to have the time that I had. So I would literally drive around Atlanta. I'd be on the phone all day long with SA guys. It was just crazy, the support I had. I'd go to five meetings a week. And I loved it. Like, this is what I actually enjoy doing. And then one of the big turning points, and it's so funny how this, this all happened at the same time, it was right around the same time that the Cubs won the World Series, which was a big turning point in my life. Um, but, you know, but seriously, it was like it, it, right around that same time is when I sort of started realizing that, you know what, i got to get serious about this. I have to completely cut off contact with this woman. I was still sort of kind of keeping up with what she was doing. And I approached my wife and said, I really want to get back together. And I don't even know, one day I was just driving along and I said, it's time, I have to do this. Um, and ironically, she was just getting ready to file for divorce. I mean, she had had it. She thought there was no way this was going to work out. It was like impeccable timing. But at the, around the same time, um, I had a, a, you know, a guy in Atlanta, one of my SA brothers, invite me to be on a morning call. Uh, it's a check-in call. We do this morning daily renewal every day. And that was in November of last year, and we still do that. It's been, what, 10 months now, and we've had some different guys come and go, but we have a kind of a core group. And i got to tell you, that is the most wonderful thing, I think, in my whole SA experience. And I have a wonderful sponsor. I mean, he's phenomenal as well. But that morning renewal call has just been unbelievable to have this group of guys that know me so well and to be able to check in every day and be held accountable every 24 hours um, <clears throat> has been really, really, really amazing for me. So to bring it up to date now, um, you know, I'm, I'm like probably everybody else. You know, I'd have two weeks of sobriety and then, then that would be it, then three weeks and then a month and then whatever. And then I built up to three months in February and then had a bad day. And um, now I'm up to seven months, um, but it's still tough. I mean, there are still days when I play with my sobriety and I have extremely lustful thoughts. And then there are other days where I'm like, man, this is a breeze. And then those days where it's a breeze and the, the, when I have bad days and I get pissed, <laughs> you know, and I don't know if that's the right reaction, but I'm like, I hate having this disease. I don't want to have these feelings anymore. And, and sometimes I just don't want to have the will to have to work any hard anymore. But I know I only got here with hard work. It was a lot of pain I had to go through. I mean, giving up that relationship, which was really giving up this obsession that I have, this obsession with lust. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it was the most important thing. And the last thing I want to do is, is get that ball rolling again because I'll end up 
I'll end up right in that same place again. So um, just to update you, I'm, I got back together with my wife in March. She was in the U.S. We spent three months together in the U.S. with the family during their school break. And we came back here in June, and it's still a real struggle. I mean, she wonders why she's with me, why she's doing this. Everybody around her tells her she's crazy. Her family won't talk to me, and that'll probably be a while before that changes. And I've got a long way to go, a lot of character defects I've got to, I've got to work on, and I, I still want things to be easy, and I, and I, I still resort to too many of my other drugs, sports addiction being probably the main one. Um, and it's a daily struggle, but the only way I, I know, and I'm sure there are other ways, but the only way I know that I can continue to stay on the right track and hopefully a year from now maybe be able to speak again on this call and have even a better perspective or a different perspective or, or more experiences is if I stay connected and if I keep doing, you know, what what all the literature tells us to do because I hated all those mantras when I came in. I hated the cliches, but they actually work. I know my therapist told me, I said, what's step 12? She said, oh, you'll, you know, sponsor other people. And I laughed at her. I'm like, once I'm done with this, I'm out of here. Why the hell would I want to continue to be part of this thing? And I was so wrong. I mean, I just, I I think I'll be part of this until the day I die. I hope so, because if I'm not, that means I'm probably going in the wrong direction and I don't want that to happen. But I've just made the most amazing friends, guys who love me for who I am. And um, it's, it's, it's been a heck of a ride, but it is, uh, you know, long road to hoe. So um, with that, I will uh, turn it back over to the chair and thank everybody for listening. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.